Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, uh, CEO and founder of PocDoc. Each week on Health Tech Hour, we bring you the best news, views and interviews from the leaders, clinicians, uh, investors and founders who are changing the world of healthcare in the UK and beyond. As I just mentioned, I'm a health tech founder myself, PocDoc, who are a partner of the show. They help us put this show on. So thank you very much to them. We are revolutionizing how individuals interact with cardiovascular disease by delivering full end-to-end cardiovascular pathway, including a lipid test uh, via a phone, um, which is all very exciting. And regular listeners will know how passionately I feel about increasing access to diagnostics in an affordable way. Um, Thanks to everyone listening live on UK Health Radio. Um, It's great to have you here on the show as ever. We wouldn't be here without you. Thanks to the UK Health Radio team for the production of the show. Also, thanks if you are downloading and listening to this on Spotify or um, any of the other podcast platforms. It's great to have you. Numbers going up, downloads increasing from all over the world. So thank you for that. Or YouTube um, clips and full show go out every week. So um, we highlight the best bits and put them out on YouTube. So this week, on this week's show, we're coming back to another investor. We've had a few on the show over the last three or four months. Um, I don't know whether that's a symptom of the way that the market is at the moment, or I'm not sure, just a coincidence. But it's great to, it's always really interesting to have a blend of um, entrepreneur, clinician, and also investors on the show. Obviously, a lot of early stage companies that become later stage companies have to get investment from venture capitalists and, and, and other investors. It's a it's a you know a super important part of the ecosystem. And I think sometimes it gets overlooked um you know behind the headlines and things like that that there are individuals and companies out there that put their hands in their pockets to fund uh you know fund dreams. And we have Sebastian Anastasiu um from Nina Capital on the show today. So Nina Capital are a European fund, one of the leading, I would say early stage health tech, med tech funds. Um, based in Europe. So Sebastian, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Great. I'm really pleased you joined because we were getting a little bit panicky there. But you know, um, it, I, my, my producer was like, should we should we carry on with the show? I said, yeah, let's just roll the dice. Worst case, I can talk for an hour. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit of a last minute uh, thing, but uh, I made it. So, Great. Good. So um, there's a few things that I want to cover off in the show. Uh, today um i think that as i said it's been a crazy 12 to 18 months um you know for the kind of vc the vc market um and i think it's nina has a really interesting place in it so i just to start off why don't you just explain your journey into venture capital let's just start there sure um <clears throat> so uh, currently i'm um i'm a principal and head of investments at nina capital um, I've got a background in, in neuroscience, so uh, 
trained in uh, trained in neuroscience um realized that you know the lab wasn't really for me and so looking for avenues out of out of doing the core research um but obviously uh, healthcare and 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 science has always been sort of the the major interest uh, for me so I, i didn't want to stray too far from that um so uh, i started dabbled a bit in you know life science strategy consulting uh, in london uh but then quickly moved on to um uh technology transfer and uh commercialization of 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 the biomedical research uh out of uh, UCL uh in London as well so okay. I, was, I was part of UCL UCL business so um that's essentially everything from it's the earliest stage of getting healthcare research out of the lab and into the market so that was everything from intellectual property management through to commercializing that by either licensing the technologies to uh, pharma medtech companies who would develop it further and take it into the market or set up um, set up startup companies with the academics and and spin them off the university as as the route to to get uh, the you know these technologies into the market to actually impact patients um, from there I uh, moved to Barcelona for the warmer weather. Um, <laughs> but it's a good uh, yes, good yes, uh, no regrets. So I came here for um, to to do an MBA at ESA Business School, um, and uh, shortly after that joined uh, joined Ina Capital, and I've okay. been here now for about two and a half years. So that's sort of how I stumbled my way into into VC. And how would you? Um... You know, because I mean, some people love the lab, right? I know that you left the lab. What was it about the lab and the lab environment that you didn't feel was the path that you wanted to go down? So it was a number of things. Um, you know, number one, you're you're stuck in a room with rats and <laughs> doing experiments. <laughs> yeah, you know that. You know that it's it's, it's fun uh, for a while, but you know, it wasn't really for me. Um, also you're you're very far away from the actual impact of mm. of the research you can't you know you may have an idea of where it may actually impact patients and the actual the real world but you're 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 very very far removed from that um and i wanted to get closer to to that and actually see see the impact that you know this research can can have on on patients and uh, actually see what happens in the real world so that's where sort of the the tech transfer came in but uh, even even at the tech transfer stage you're still quite far removed it takes a very long time you know drug development or medtech development takes a long time so you're still waiting a very long time to see um see the research actually enter the market and get to patients and so i'm i, I feel like i'm slowly slowly moving closer and yeah. closer to the actual I, market you I, know? I always find it funny when um you know you see that like the, the, I, I one of the reasons that we started the show was to give um healthcare companies healthcare founders more of a broadcast platform because what the missions that we're all on don't always lend themselves easily to the sort of mic drop moment of um mainstream media where you have to hit the headline hit your message and then they roll on to something else and so it always makes me chuckle because one of the things that does 
go very well in mainstream media are press releases about success of early stage drugs or treatments. And it it makes me laugh because mainstream media doesn't seem to quite understand how long it will be before these things actually come to pass. But they seem very, very, very keen on on running a headline about blockbuster this and it's actually you look into it and you know they tested it on like three mice and you're like well it's going to be a while before that's that's out exactly even if uh, you know it may not even it may not it may not ever come out yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and meantime you've got businesses doing incredible things right now who can't you know they just can't cut through so that was one of the reasons why we started the show i thought that was kind of kind of funny so um with um what what areas do you find do, do you particularly find interesting is do you focus mostly on on like on on the areas of your expertise or are you sort of broad spectrum across across everything so um me personally or or Nina yeah i know well let's start a... with you let's let's start start with you sure i mean so so obviously my neuroscience background i naturally gravitate to anything uh, neuroscience related so a lot of uh, a lot of the um the you know n- neuro companies that come to us and 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 when we're researching the space i sort of take take the lead there uh, as well as 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 mental health um so okay. that, that's that's sort of do you, get, natural, do you ever yeah. get frustrated where you see like companies pretending to be very neuro and technical and then they're really not? Or do you just like, it's just part of it, right? Do they sometimes kind of expect you to not be a neuroscientist and they kind of baffle you with the, you know, the biomarkers and the whatever it is. And then you're like, actually, I know what I'm talking about. So, so actually um, I get more of a, a, positive response so um when when they find out that you know i I actually have this this background and they can get as technical with me as they want uh they actually light up um most of the time because they can actually um they don't need to dumb down um dumb down the science uh, and uh, you know a lot of the investors they speak to um they won't have a scientific background. And so they have to really, they don't get to really explain and have a in-depth conversation uh, yeah. with them as a first, first call. And, and, and typically the, the feedback I get is, you know, they, they like to speak to people who, who actually understand both the science and the, and, and, and the, the market that they're trying to enter. Um so yeah, not not really frustration from from my part, but more of more of a a positive response uh, from from the founders that I, I typically speak to. Yeah, that's good. I, I do know myself that you know, th- th- yeah, that it sometimes can be frustrating if you're speaking to investors who just don't understand, or just I, I mean, yeah, they just don't understand any element of the science behind what you're doing. Um, although we have had we have had conversations that have gone on for months with investors and then it turns out they still don't understand what we're doing so you know <laughs> there might be something in what we're explaining or, or, or the other way around I don't know um, so what do you think just so we're all because the, the, the listenership that we have is a very broad church so just so we're all on the same page um, sometimes VCs venture capitalists or anything with the word capitalist and it gets kind of labeled in the negative perspective and there was kind of a little bit of a freak out 
a week or two ago with our friend Silicon Valley Bank, which I'm sure many people will be listening to. And many people realize for many people listening, it got a bit scary about whether the financial crisis was coming back again. And was this the same old, same old? So let's just go right back to the basics. Why is venture capital the life or why do you think or maybe you don't think and maybe I'm crazy but why is venture capital the lifeblood of early stage businesses or or, or highly innovative technology businesses specifically healthcare and health technology businesses and why is it why is assuming you think this why is it a critical part of the ecosystem and actually massively net beneficial sure so um maybe I'll start with saying that not all startups need venture capital. Um, I know, you know, we get a lot of a lot of companies that come to us. They have a great solution, um, really good team, um, and the need they're solving is real. You know, it's 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 a real need, and and they can really address it. But um, the market just isn't that big it's you know substantial right. say it can be a hundred million dollar market but that doesn't match it's not congruent with what vcs need to see to invest and make their returns yeah um so you know a lot of companies before they go out and speak to vcs i would you know, have a think about are there other funding options that really would suit them better? I mean, can you bootstrap for you know as long as possible? Can you grow organically? Maybe an or you know it's much slower growing organically, but if you can actually um, fund yourself with revenue, um, that might be a better route for your particular company than going to VC. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's uh, there's uh, angel investors out there who don't look for the same um, same return, outsized return that VC needs um, to see. And why does it need that outside outsized return? So you know, we have our own uh, investors uh, in in our fund. And the nature of of the space we invest in, which comes to you know the, the second point of of answering your question, you know why why it's 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 key in in this uh, startup ecosystem, is that if you look at the statistics, uh, I can't even say a number, but um, the majority of startups fail. It's a mm-hmm. very very high risk uh, space, and so. Um, you know traditional investors they won't they won't invest directly into the companies because um for example we expect 30% of our portfolio companies to be a write off to you know return right. nothing and so when when you have that sort of profile of um assets in a portfolio only one or two in the whole portfolio will return make the returns that um, our investors expect, you know, because it's such a high risk um, investment asset class, um, our investors will expect, you know, 
much higher returns than the than investing in the stock market or an right. S&P 500 for example or other lower risk um uh, classes um investment classes so that's why we need to uh, show have the potential to actually uh, give our give our investors big returns much better than the public markets can give right um you know high risk high reward and yeah. because of because of the amount of failures that we expect um we need to every company we invest in has to have the potential they're not not all of them will do it but they have to have the potential to um return the fund essentially because yeah. one or two maximum three will actually make a difference uh, so is that why this. and just for the benefit of everyone listening <clears throat> excuse me there's such an obsession with market what market are you in and how big is that market exactly so, like an example of a market might be um employee mental health for example yes. the size of that market you could argue would be every employee in a reasonably sized business in any country so yep. on paper that market looks huge right yep absolutely it it looks huge um but if you look at the mental health market and in the employers employers and mental health market it's extremely crowded massively um, and a pretty low barrier to entry exactly so you know there's a balance here yeah it could be a smaller market but you're much higher barriers to entry or much more defensible solution you can get a larger part of the pie a bigger piece yeah. of the pie versus a small piece of a very large pie so right. this is these are things we have to consider yeah and um sorry carry on with what you were saying about so uh, yeah i was uh, uh, um so because because um these companies are so high risk and there's such a high risk of failure you need um uh, that's where vc comes in they have the ability to actually invest in these extremely high risk projects um and and that's sort of core uh, mm. i would say um now different vcs have different return profiles which means um for example our fund it's relatively small it's 40 million euros we will not need um a, a unicorn exit typically uh for it Although to you would you wouldn't say no right i wouldn't we would not say no we always <laughs> like to see unicorn exits of course um but we don't need to see that we can probably return our fund with an investment that may exit at a 500 million valuation right. for example the larger vcs that have two 300 million size funds they will need unicorns yeah. or more to actually yeah. return 300 million from one investment so right. when companies go out and, and and seek investment they have to understand exactly what you know what size of vcs there are and which ones make sense for yeah. your particular company it's um yeah i think it's really interesting because you know to your point that you made around whether a company should go off is relevant for venture capital. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good business and it doesn't mean you can't make a good business. I think a really relevant example, I think this is slightly changing, but um, in the UK, for example, traditionally, although again, I think this has shifted, but traditionally venture capital funds would not go near, or would not be interested in any business that worked with the NHS. 
generally. There were exceptions. There's always exceptions. But over the last 60, 70, 80 years, there's huge numbers of companies that have been successful working with the NHS and made lots of money working with the NHS. Um, because despite what people think, the NHS is significantly reliant on private organizations. And so, you know, a large number of those basically had to bootstrap themselves, right? And, it, you know, they, they weren't traditional businesses that were attractive for those reasons that you just mentioned. But some of these businesses are turning over a huge amount of money now. So, you know, it, it definitely, you don't need to go down that pathway, which I think is kind of interesting. Exactly, exactly. I would, um, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm a VC. I want, we want, we want companies to come to us, but... Um, well, you also don't want to waste your time though or waste their time, right? Exactly, exactly. So I, I do think there's a lot of companies out there that just think of, think of creative ways to bootstrap and, and do this, um, you know, in other, with other funding sources, um, you know, v, with VC money comes a lot of strings attached and yeah. there's certain expectations of the path that you will, um, you will take over the next five, six years. So yeah, yeah it's, it's an important thing to, to consider. Understood. Right. We have to stop for a short commercial break. And after that, I want to get back and I want to dig into some of the businesses, not not necessarily within Nina, but just just more broadly, that within healthcare that have kind of been things that you've been excited about generally. And then um, then we can kind of come back around to why health tech is different potentially to other types of businesses to the point around can you bootstrap it can you not bootstrap it there's there's just a limit to some of these things if given the kind of amount of upfront investment that might be required in order to get something off the ground but we can come back after two minutes with sebastian anastasiu 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 have i done this yeah. right yeah that's good it's, a, oh, it's good it's enough a, okay, greek no, surname greek surname it'll enough. work okay <laughs> sebastian anastasiu who's a principal at nina capital we'll be right back The station that makes you feel good. Apples and pears, beef and skittles, cider with Rosie, common or garden, ant and deck, fish and chips, mum and dad. UK Health Radio and Health Triangle Magazine. Each is good by itself, but enjoying both is always better. Add Health Triangle magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at ukhealthradio.com. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Oh, hello. I'm back. I'm so sorry. I got distracted. My producer was just waving at me. All right, we're back. This week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, and my guest today, Sebastian Anastasiu, the principal investor from Nina Capital. So let's go into 
Um, let's actually, first of all, why don't we just tick off the issue of Silicon Valley Bank? Because many people might have seen it in the news. And um, in the UK, it got handled, right? Because the government basically stepped in. But for you, was this just was this just a weird blip or, or was this an indication of something more broadly um, uh, wrong or, or difficult with, I don't know, the financial sector, the wider technology sector, or like what's your kind of two minutes on, on Silicon Valley Bank? Sure. So, um, well, that, that weekend was mayhem. Yeah. Uh, carnage. Because it was absolute carnage. Um, you know, on Friday, um a few of our portfolio companies were banking with them i mean i think half of the us venture backed ecosystem banked with yeah. uh, with with svb um yeah, as well as some of the vcs themselves yeah. so the the biggest um the biggest problem that uh, they had was the, we were worried that these companies would not be able to make payroll yeah. they had they had the money in the bank, but they couldn't touch it. And, um, and that was a big problem. So we didn't know. Um, I had, I, I, I didn't panic too much because it was, it was, there's just too, too much riding on this. So, you know, yeah. the governments would have to step in. And, uh, so, you know, on Sunday, some of our companies had, you know, emergency board meetings to see what we should sure. do. Um, I but then how that just was not much fun. No. Um, but then come, come Monday, uh, at least all the, the startups, um, had access to their money, got yeah. it all out into other banks um and everything's everything's fine now really from i th- i would say for for the startups um but, but is this i mean like was it just a weird it's just i mean it's uh, well what, i mean like, so you're seeing you're, you i mean you saw credit suisse where credit suisse uh, yeah right? that, i think first for public be, to, as well to be fair <laughs> to be fair to credit suisse they've had problems for years and years yes. that's not a new thing but it got bad quick yeah, so you know, I'm I'm not an economist. No, I'm I'm not an investment banker, so I, I'm not the the best person to comment on 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 the wider markets here. Um, I am. I do think um, what this does a learning here is not to put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So spread you know, to all to all the companies out there, spread spread your cash around uh, yeah. a couple of banks at least. Uh even though you know this is a I would say it's a, a weird blip. You know, it's not Let's a normal hope. thing. I, d- um, I think it's unhelpful though. So like if you're out raising money right now, it's not going to help the market sentiment, even though if you didn't have anything to do with SVP. Yes, People, it just increases the nervousness, right? I guess, but you know, if if you go for, you know, if you're a smart investor, you it shouldn't it shouldn't, it shouldn't. scare you. No, it shouldn't scare right. you. I think the investors that would that are are most affected are the ones that had SVB as an investor themselves. So you know, SVB had a fund of funds, and they were oh, it's, did it? I didn't yes, know that. It's slightly separate. I don't know the. I'm not going to go into detail into the structure. They were sure. separate, and they're trying to sell that off now. Um, but um, they were investors of funds, and they typically took large, large, you know, right. sometimes anchor investors. And so those funds 
um, are probably <laughs> trying to work out uh, what's next, and they yeah. may be a bit more hesitant uh, to you know invest right now. That makes sense. Um, but that's not the majority. So sure. um, yeah. Okay, so let's switch it up and let's talk about. And you can talk about Nina Capital's portfolio, but you, you know you don't have to be loyal. You can talk about other stuff as well. But what are the kind of like, you know, let's go through two or three companies that you think, or, or areas, or, or you know, different types of industries right now within health tech, health technology that you think are super exciting or super interesting, and maybe stuff that people wouldn't necessarily immediately think about. Right. So not to put you on the spot, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'll 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 have a think and uh, hopefully come up with something interesting. Um so maybe I'll, I'll take a step back and just explain where you know what our investment thesis is. Yeah, uh, so Nina, yeah. So um you know as you know we are health healthcare focused investors. Um but w- we invest at at the intersection of health and technology. So we don't do traditional drugs, uh, pure biotech. It's really a lot of pure software plays, uh, can be medtech hardware, um, regulated medical devices, unregulated healthcare tools. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're quite broad in in the health technology space, but hyper-focused in that we're only in in, in health tech. Um, Now, we have a bias towards data so we do think uh, data-driven solutions um, are uh, there's going to be and we've already right. seen a lot of of, of interesting companies uh, built from 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 data and so one of our one of our theses and you know we have a bunch of mini portfolios within our whole portfolio mm. is something we call data liquidity Okay. Um, and so that's everything to do with uh, the movement of data, the utilization of health data, um, how to actually unlock uh, data for healthcare for for for, for, for healthcare purposes. Um, and so you know we've we've looked we've looked at that from various angles. So. Um, we've made one investment in in the U.S. called Segmed, and they're essentially partnering with data providers, hospitals, and 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 other healthcare providers that that produce, uh, for example, healthcare imaging data. Okay. Um, and what they do, they have a technology to. Um, basically de-identify and and uh, create um, enable those data sets to be shared um, and used by researchers to develop for example AI uh, AI solutions for okay. diagnostics and everything um, and that's a huge issue it's it's the actual uh, de-identification the privacy privacy is such a important thing when it comes to uh, healthcare data. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this company focuses on this and, and I think people underestimate um, that for us, for, for health tech solutions to really um, make an impact and really, really work, you need to 
you need access to this data. And so there needs to yeah. be a balance between, you know, 100% privacy and uh, and enabling, uh, you know, interesting yeah. startups access to that data. And, um, you know, we found that this company enables that. Uh, right. So it's it's all about dealing with that privacy aspect, the identification okay. of the data. Um, and which and then, I guess unlocks value for a huge number of other people, right? Because there is lo- there are lots and I mean, tons and tons of businesses that have very advanced AI and analytics, diagnostics. But if you don't have the data sets to run through it, then exactly uh, you can't do anything exactly and um well i mean you did say something that's not obvious but you know i'll mention you know gpt3 from right. uh, you know and 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 you're seeing microsoft and google essentially going head to head now i think google just announced that they've released uh, this thing called um open health stack i think it's called okay. where essentially it's a bunch of open source building block tools uh, for um, for health for health tech developers to essentially use. Wow! Um, so they're really and and you know they're always looking for data to essentially build these these foundational models essentially yeah. that um, that un, you know entrepreneurs and, and and startups can hopefully use to develop really really interesting and impactful uh, solutions out there and. I think that's this is this is a space I'm really really following closely. Mm. Um, we'll see how Microsoft and Google will will fight for this. The, I think. Yeah. Well, I think and then it, what you see what Amazon's going to do. I mean, AWS and, is not just going to sit there not doing anything. Exactly. So Amazon is the next player. There's going to be this this. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting time for health tech startups um to essentially partner with the likes of microsoft google yeah, or, or if amazon you're to, if you're a data business a, 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 an ai if you're a, if you're in health tech healthcare but your sort of core stack is around data anything that crosses over with them i think it's going to be super interesting as to whether you can partner to develop more value or whether they just eat your market and, well, so so this is I'm I'm really th- and I don't know what's going to you happen. You don't know how it's going to go. I'm I'm really thinking about this and yeah. But they they are showing signals that obviously Google they are developing their own algorithms. Some you know you know for example, diagnostics for 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 breast cancer using ultrasound images. Okay. Um, but if you look at the partnerships they're doing, it's mostly with you know um, nonprofits. Uh, a couple of the Google partnerships they're focused on 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 Africa um, mm. and, and and African hospitals as well. So um, and also these large companies they they're they're slow uh, and well, so yeah. this and, is and, where and, and they're also risk averse, right? I mean they're, they're not and they're very very what's the yeah they're very averse to proceeding through a regulatory pathway generally right like they don't like that they don't like showing people they're working they don't like having to submit technical dossiers or doing any of that stuff that's just not really in their dna they're like we'll build stuff people are going to use it just leave us alone that's exactly and 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 so you know that's where i see the signals going you know they are they're developing these foundational ai models which are essentially just trained on masses and masses of unstructured data and then those are can be then used 
by these by health tech companies to 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 build actual products so as opposed to the technology yeah. you know there's a difference yeah, between mean, the it, the technology underlying technology and building blocks and then building a product so that's where these yeah. tech companies these health tech companies can really get an edge is 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 building on everything that google microsoft and sort of like, amazon are doing it's sort of like ai as a service right it's kind of like they'll make their models available to you yeah. to then use to develop a product service that you then take on, but it's sort of like their core algorithm or whatever it is at the heart of it, basically. So exactly. it's some of the work for you. Because ultimately they want you to be on their cloud services and their cloud yeah. platform. And yeah. that's where they'll make their money. Yeah. They right? benefit <laughs> from you. you. They benefit from you building your service on them. They don't, They don't. They, they'd. I would imagine they would much prefer to be able to power a hundred startups trying to improve breast cancer diagnosis from ultrasound yeah. than be the one that goes to the NHS to try and sell in the serv- their own service, right? Yeah. I guess. Well, right? that's what. Well, that's my. That's my thesis. Know. That's that's my thesis. But we'll see. I have. You have. Uh, you can't predict the future. So uh, no. But yeah, it's an interesting space. That I, I, I'm, I think. Really I think this at. like information as a service analytics as a service like ai as a service i think is really interesting and it will be really interesting because obviously there's lots and lots of companies out there around um you know uh, scan analysis improved diagnostics using ai mri ultrasounds all of that kind of stuff and i think it's going to be really interesting as to whether what google what google and um uh, uh microsoft and potentially amazon do whether it's like net supportive or net competitive or kind of a bit of both. Exactly. It's hard to see right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. Um, and then the other sort of thing that I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in right now is in synthetic data. So okay. that's essentially... Um, it, it, it's it's a form of generative AI. I'm not going to go... I, I'm not an expert in the technical side of things here, but essentially they take real-world data uh, and then build models to generate fake data okay. um, that is essentially identical in terms of the statistical properties and things that can be then used um, by AI developers to actually train um, and and fine tune their there are many different fi- fine tune their algorithms and, so that, and they and they do that because there's not enough existing underlying data to do it. So to, so to yeah so so, they, so I mean there are two things here you know there, there could be privacy so you know if you do right. this then you're not actually sharing the real data um, but also it can be used for cases where there isn't that much data so you know very very rare conditions that you know i don't know yeah uh, there's a certain lung condition where there's very little data and you could actually generate images um that replicate that and can be used for ai algorithm development right um as well as that's cool yeah as well as health equity as well i mean so when i say health equity i mean access to uh marginalized so so uh, demographics that aren't uh as represented um in in the data sets that are used to train algorithms right and this is a huge problem uh which is that makes sense it's a bit like a much more advanced issue around how um women weren't included in clinical trials for goodness knows however long but that's an even more advanced version of that where the you know ethnic breakdown of 
images that are currently existing to be used for this training don't represent reality exactly exactly so um and, and obviously it was early days but this is yeah. something that's very interesting you know we made one investment in that uh, a couple of years ago that uh, was acquired by another company um one year ago and we've and that was focused on 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 um text data so data sets okay. essentially and we've recently made an investment in a german startup very very young a great team that are focused on the imaging side. So basically generating synthetic, for example, uh, CT scans. Um, and, and that's extremely difficult to do. Um, but with, with, you know, generative AI and, and, and seeing, seeing how this is progressing, I think this is an interesting space. One of these places we've invested where we have, it's very difficult to see what the future holds but something cool will happen with within that space yeah so that's yeah that's really cool i hadn't heard of that before that's 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 awesome there's just a lot of st- and this is what i mean about you know that there are there are there are obviously things like chat gpt get loads of headlines right but but things like this actually stand to make a huge difference within healthcare um, and and it's not like they're that well known necessarily. You know, I, I would say something like data liquidity is probably a bit more known than synthetic data generation. But I I, I think they're still not necessarily on everyone's agenda. And I think that's that's super super interesting. We have to go for our last break now. Um, so we'll be back in two minutes for the last part of this week's Hatek Hour with Sebastian Anastasiu, the principal lead investor from Nina Capital. We'll be right back. The station that makes you feel good. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind body and spirit connection cancer patients are offered free sessions to find out more please visit us at hellolove.org a for horses b for mutton c more cheeks dig for victory e uk health radio and health triangle magazine each is good by itself but enjoying both is always better. Add Health Triangle magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at UKHealthRadio.com. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost, CEO of PocDoc, and my guest today, Sebastian Anastasiu, the principal investor from Nina Capital. So before the break, we were talking about a couple of really cool developing areas, synthetic data, data liquidity. Is there anything else that's on your agenda that may be slightly unusual? What about tech bio? 
Have you heard, are you, are you, are you, are you biotech or tech bio? What's your preference? I love the way that jargon just gets inverted because like we can't come up with something new, but anyway. <laughs> so, so what's, what's your definition of My tech definition bio? of tech bio, that's a great shout. So we had um, Jason C. Foster from um, Ori Biotech on the show a couple of months ago. He's, he's someone that has been really helpful to me and, and us in our journey at PogDoc. And um, it's my definition of it, not that I'm a, you know, like a particular expert in it, but, but my, the way I would sort of define it is that there are um, a number of treatments that involve biological processes in order to generate that treatment, where the clinical data is extremely clear as to the efficacy of those treatments. Um, the the clinical efficacy is not new. It, it, it's been around for a while and these treatments are highly effective um, in, in doing what they want to do, doing in their intended target and like CAR T cell therapy. Um, but the actual production of that treatment is prohibitively expensive. And so it's either not used or it's used in a fourth or a fifth line in, in the case of CAR T cell therapy which means that it moves from a kind of a potential cure to being used when someone's actually quite a lot sicker than when they might have been if you'd have used it as a first line. But you can't use it as a first line because it's $2 million or something per per treatment. And so the whole purpose of Tech Bio is to take these, these biologically-based treatments and dramatically decrease cost through dramatically optimized improved production and manufacturing um so i think it's a really interesting area because they're not what is it what is really helpful i think and quite exciting is you're not trying to reinvent the wheel with seeking clinical approval or clinical efficacy like that's that's done like that argument's done what you're trying to do is apply production manufacturing scale up to a really really hard thing to scale up Right. Like in CAR T cell therapy, where you're stripping someone's T cells out, reprogramming them, mass producing them, then re-injecting them. And it's every single person is exactly this is, is, is a complete repeat. So how do you scale that up? I think it's it's a, but if you can, then and it moves to a first line or a second line, then the, the possible impact on certain types of cancer is is like transformative. So that's how I think about it. But I do. Am I wrong? No, no. And, you know, I, I 100% agree. I mean, even before my time at Nina Capital, you know, at UCL, the, we had a few spin-out companies, you know, one's one, Autolus Therapeutics, you know, CAR T-cell therapy for, for oncology, um, a few others. So I've, I've, I've sort of been involved in this um, for a while. And with these, you know whenever you see these innovative therapeutics come out, they will always come before, um, before any manufacturing yeah. uh, technologies. I mean, what people come. don't realize is they're really, sometimes they run off of really small batch data. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, like, like talking like hundreds of people, not thousands, maybe less. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, you can talk about gene therapies as well. Yep. Um, in, in the same vein. Now, at Nina Capital, we, we 100% agree with you. And we've actually invested in a company out of Austria called Sarkura. Okay. And um, essentially, uh, they are doing exactly this. They are developing um, technology 
to automate the manufacturing process of cell therapies. Right. Um, and, you know, this is one of the deeper tech uh, investments that we have made. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're very excited to see see what happens uh, in this space yeah. because the impact that uh, that cell therapies can have um in 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 treating these these diseases you need these companies to um to actually make it feasible for hospitals to to actually yeah. uh, administer for health these, systems you need yeah exactly uh, it's it's, it's well, you know, when when I got more into talking to Jason about it, it's not. An, I mean, I've been, I've been really busy building PocTalk, so it's not really been something <laughs> I've paid a huge amount of attention to. Um, but when he was explaining it to me, I was like, "This makes so much sense." Like, yep. I, I'm not saying you're going to crack it, right? I don't know. There's a huge amount of technical risk, but cracking it has to be a priority for somebody to fund yep. somewhere. Um, exactly. No, absolutely. And so, you know, we're, we're backing this company, um, and uh, hopefully. Uh, I'm 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 confident they'll they'll do well. Uh, that it's it's an interesting space as well when you when when you talk to the different stakeholders. So mm. if you speak to a lot of physicians, um, they and this is this is I'm gen, you know generalizing here. Sure. But they they um, have a vision of developing or rather having these machines at the hospital and they okay. essentially manufacture the 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 actual cell therapy at the point of care you at the point of care there, exactly like in, point in of care manufacturing box or something exactly and then and then that's how that's how that's a, a big vision that a lot of physicians in the space uh, that i've spoken to seem to seem to uh, think things are going if you speak to the cell therapy companies um they are they do not see this um, happening, at least in the near future, because yeah. the regulatory barriers for that hospitals will need to uh, to have all the it's because they're it's, manufacturing it's, a drug on premise. Exactly, exactly, right? and yeah. and this isn't just this isn't a small molecule pill. This is these are no. these cell therapies, highly complex, uh, highly complex. Yeah. You're uh, going to need a highly so, controlled environment, and all exactly. So of, yeah. so there's interesting discussions of where, you know, where we see which stakeholder will will uh, will t- will take. Which stakeholder yeah. will have which part of the whole pipeline here, and yeah. where the manufacturers come in? So, uh, a big problem for these manufacturing um, technologies, for example, Sarkura and and Ori Biotech, um, is how do the regulatory bodies view regulatory approval of the cell therapies if they've been approved through the process? through the use of a of of one manufacturing method yeah how how will they how will they adopt this new manufacturing technology a new manufacturing process without having to go through an arduous regulatory approval again i i I mean so I, i spoke to jason about this that thing and also the idea that so when you manufacture a drug or a medical device or there's a huge amount of um uh emphasis rightly placed on repeatability consistency quality control batch control all of these different you know um 
checks and balances, right? Yep. So that what comes out at the end is what you think it is. And it will, if used properly, will perform in the manner that you have approval for um, and is safe and all those kind of things. How, that's easier when you have one compound that's a stable compound that you, you know, you can QC in the middle or QC at the end and you understand or a device and it's, you know, it either does it or it doesn't do it. But if you've got each individual's T cell therapy will by definition be unique. Yeah. So how do you QC that in a, in a, in a way that's, that, and the thing is, I'm sure that smart people sat around a table, probably the people at this, um, either manuf- at, 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 you know, the Ori Biotechs or, and or the cell therapy companies, they can figure it out. My concern is whether they can get it to the regulators to come with them on what, what will, I'm sure there is a solution that will mean it will be safe, but yeah. whether that fits the, the definition that the regulators have of, of, of where they see this, I don't know, because this is sort of, two steps further ahead in the pathway and, and, and particularly to your point theoretically if you change the manufacturing process you certainly would have to do what's called an equivalence yeah exactly right which which for something like this i could imagine being quite arduous i suspect yeah you know not no small it's not going to be small potatoes exactly exactly but it has to happen i think the yeah the, the oreobiotics like, I mean, yeah you can cure certain types of cancer if you use it yeah. in a first line or a second line like well, i mean the efficacy is off the charts for cell therapy right absolutely and um i guess you know the next step for them is is uh, autologous um cell therapy so where you don't need to use uh, the actual cells from uh, from the individuals you can actually have that's blank canvases essentially and then use those to now i'm I'm not i'm not an expert in this well no but if you get like i don't i mean who knows but if you get to that then that solves a lot of the manufacturing issues exactly i I could without knowing anything about the science and whatever i could see that being where the solution ultimately lies if it's feasible yeah because then that can give you some element of consistency or baselining or something that would be that would be really cool um so Got a few minutes left in the show. You've spoken a few times around the fact that Nina Capital comes in early, likes to invest early. And so I suspect that a big part of your decision making is on the team. Absolutely. So what are the qualities? What's a good team versus not a good team? And what what do you like to see? And what's a red flag to you? And I think it'd just be helpful for anyone who is an entrepreneur already or starting a company or thinking about starting a company you know, like let, let's hear it directly from you about about that because particularly yeah. that early stage, the founding team and then the first hires around in the founding team, that's really important. Sure, absolutely. And it's 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 the first sort of item of our checklist when we when we analyze companies. Um so obviously a lot of it is very you can't even define so you do it's 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 very much you speak to them and you get a feel for uh, their personalities and how they work and and all of this now leaving that aside um what we really look for are diverse teams now i'm i'm not talking about gender diversity ethnic diversity um you know that's very important as well uh, but when I talk about diversity, I mean it in the complete sense. So diversity in backgrounds. Um, you know, you could be you could be uh, 
fully diverse in in gender and 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 ethnicities but your three uh, co-founders from MIT right and with a mechanical engineering uh, PhD all three of you that's not a diverse team um you the, the best teams are these interdisciplinary teams that essentially have different backgrounds and they complement each other's um yeah. in, in each other's uh, gaps in knowledge and experience essentially uh, so so that's sort of very important and the second thing i i, I want to get across is the extended team so we don't only look at the core team very important but have they been able to attract key advisors you know these are key opinion leaders in the space they're ex ex entrepreneurs they have years of experience that can either mentor them or give them the advice or the right connections um to essentially help them build a really strong company now that that not only tells us that they have the ability to uh convince very busy people that they have a great company and actually yeah. convince them to come on board um but also it, it it shows that they have the extended support to actually really do what they need to do you know it's it's hard to start a business and grow it with a team of you know three co-founders you can do amazing things if you add a team of three or four really key advisors uh that can help that's that's a huge plus when we mm. when we analyze companies so i i encourage any any startups out there really think about um building a really really good extended team um as well as the core team and and all mm. the other hires and quickly before we go we've got like one minute beyond the diversity what would you say across the companies that you've worked with or alongside or however what are the key qualities that the founders have in, in businesses that are doing well or have done well or however it doesn't mean about exit but more like what mm. what are the consistent qualities from good founders it's a very tough uh, question to answer oh, you've got in, about in, 45 in seconds so right so um i would say ability to adapt to um the situations i.e how fast can you learn Mm-hmm. And how fast can you use those learnings to your benefit? I think that's sort of the the number one uh, quality I've seen that uh, that makes a, a founder and a team of founders really, really strong. Uh, do they listen to the market? Do customers say this and then they they act on it and they can either pivot or or make certain changes to actually mm-hmm. um, listen to what their advisors say and what their what their customers say 